Hey, I'm Micah. And I'm Jen. From 1994 to 1996, Jen lived in the middle of nowhere, Montana. But not by choice. She was sent to a therapeutic boarding school. I had some issues. While there, she performed hard labor. There was also a lot of forced exercise. Went through daily, hours-long group therapy. That shit didn't work. And when she left, she was left with some holes in her life. Holes? One of the holes was her pop culture hole. Yeah, I missed a lot of shit. And that's a hole we can fill. So grab your board, dude. It's time for... I never saw that. We have a guest this week. Yep, he is a guest who has been a guest before, uh, but it's been a little while. Why don't you introduce yourself, guest? Hi, I am Elliot, uh, the son of these two randos. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, yeah, that's me. How old are guest. you, Elliot? Twelve. Okay. I ask because I think the last time you were on, you were probably like yeah, nine. I was like nine. Or ten, or maybe. Yeah. That was before we left, right? On our trip, yeah. Yeah, we were in Seattle. Yep. It's been a while. Uh, so what did we watch this week? Uh, Endless Summer 2. Uh, surfer dude movie. Radical! <laughs> yeah, I don't think they uttered the word radical one time. I don't think so either, but our kids still have been saying like, radical, bodacious, yeah. ever since. They know what they think surfer slang is, but they I don't think they said that in this movie. They did say gnarly, I think, a few times about the coral reefs. They said gnarly. He said stoked, stoked. a lot. Stoked, yeah. And Grammys. There was a lot of talk of Grammys. What little are... kids. Oh, right, right. Little kids. And Zoomers. Oh, yeah, which are boobs. We'll get there. Yeah, there we... were some boobs, yep. too, in the movie. Yeah, I see some boobs. Um, yeah, we decided to, well, we're doing this at the last minute this week, and uh, we're taking a week break from our summer blockbusters, and next week we'll be Die Hard with a Vengeance. We um, thought it would be okay, though, because it's called the movie's called Endless Summer 2. Yeah, close enough. So it's kind of a summer movie. Oh, it's for sure a summer movie. It's just not a blockbuster, and it's a documentary. Had, you had never seen this movie before. No. Had you ever heard of it, even? I've heard of the original. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. Maybe just from you, though. I don't know. Yeah. This was a big... I had seen this movie several times. I owned this movie on DVD. I loved this movie. I watched it over and over. Yeah. As well as the original in the summer, because I surfed. Um, we watched this with our kids. I surfed in high school and a little bit in college, um, and my brother still surfs a lot, and so I kind of grew up always wanting to surf, and um, we watched it with our kids, and I had to tell them... The surfing that I did was nothing like anything you saw in the movie that we just watched. Mm -hmm. I, it was like I was doing a different sport. Yeah. Mostly oh, called I, yeah. paddling and falling. I imagine, yeah. Uh-huh. Cool. Yeah, no, it's a it's a goofy movie. I mean, it's a documentary, but it's there's a lot of uh kind of hokey parts, but it's it was very entertaining. I I actually really enjoy watching people surf. Yeah, Bruce Brown, I mean the surfing stuff, the Filming of the surfing was amazing and really well yes. done. He's done tons of different sports documentaries, and he's known as like a surf documentary guy because of Endless Summer and Endless Summer 2. His son is also a documentary filmmaker, um, but it is very hokey. I think it's very like quaint. It's very like DIY, mm -hmm. homemade, and and it's. I knew the kids would like it because he's very cheesy and does a lot of voiceover and narration that doesn't that isn't real. It's not what really happened. He's just making jokes. Right. What did you think of it, Elliot? 
Um, it was pretty funny, and watching people surf actually is pretty cool, which surprised me a little bit, mm-hmm. honestly. Yeah, you um, kept saying, did it make you want to try surfing? Yeah, I don't, yeah, it kind of did. I'd, I've never really been that into surf, like, I've never known that much about it, but mm-hmm. it's pretty cool. Dude. <laughs> that, that was kind of a pregnant pause. Are you waiting for me to do something? Well, I just, uh, you know, as usual, I'm like, well, how far into this do we want to get? And then you always make me introduce your stupid segment. Uh, yeah, we're going to do a little thing, uh, Elliot, where I describe a comic to we your know, mom. He knows what it is. See you in the funny papers. See you in the funny papers. See you in the funny papers. So this week we're doing a, a little-known comic that I don't think we've actually done on the show before. Um, it's called The Far Side hmm. by a an artist named Gary Larson, I believe is his name. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Is that right? Have we not done a Far Side? I don't think so. Okay. Um, and this one I picked for a particular reason, um, mostly because all the other ones were really shitty and I didn't have very many options. (laughs) Um, And we've done a couple that didn't have jokes in them recently. I'm a little disappointed that you didn't do another, what was his name, Jim Martin or something? I don't know. The Uh, most prolific comic artist ever in the history of the world, according to Guinness Book of World Records. Because I really need to know if he ever writes jokes. A comic without a joke is not a comic. It's just a bunch of drawings. Yeah, well, honey, the yep. That's a lot and of what words. this is. Words that don't have to do with anything in the picture. It's a really, really short, lazy graphic novel. <laughs> Not a comic. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so we should call this segment when we do like Ethel and Willie. Is that what it's called? Willie and Ethel. Willie and Ethel. When we do things like that, we should call this segment, see it in the really lazy graphic novel. Okay. Um, so- or see it in the jokeless papers. Yeah, unfunny papers. Um, Okay, so Elliot has seen this also. So Elliot, um, do you want to start describing what's going on here or do you want me to? How do you want to do this? I know it's hard to read, but we just start with the the drawing. How many panels is it? Usually Farsight is one, right? Okay, um, it's like a frog dog bunny guy throwing a bunch of paper (laughs) in the air. Okay. A frog dog uh, bunny and there's guy. An old grandpa dude in the back sitting next to a lamp reading probably a newspaper. Uh, God, that's a lot of paper on the ground. So, wait, okay. I'm sorry. Frog dog bunny guy. Can yeah. you clarify that for can me, just, Micah? Can I do a little? Um, I'm really, I really like your instincts. You have a lot of potential, I think. Um, but one thing you want to do is read the comic first so you have a little context and know what it is you're describing. Um, I really like how you went into the paper, though. That was really good um, <laughs> because that's an important detail. So I like to start with a setting. Um, so we're in like a building. It looks like a, a house because we can see we're in a room and we're looking at the corner of the room where there's a desk. But we can see through to another, like through a doorway to another room and there's a person in like a lounge chair like recliner uh-huh. type thing an and there's old grandpa a lamp. dude then an old grandpa dude um and he does have a weird little pinhead not a whole lot of detail there it doesn't elliot can i get your input on this is he wearing any clothes it does not appear so and what like can you see like his nipples and stuff no, or like you, just, you see, just don't see from behind you can see his shoulder and his arm holding like a book like he's sitting reading but also it does look like a human 
Oh, but now I'm looking at it. Hold on. No, definitely not a human. So Elliot called it a frog. Dog um, bunny. Dog bunny guy. Mm -hmm. The guy in the background kind of looks like a pickle. I just wanted to throw that out there. <laughs> yeah. So we have a frog dog bunny and a pickle. Yeah. So the, that's a, this is a thing about Gary Larson cartoons. He has a very particular drawing style and he likes to draw a lot of animals. Yes, he does. So um, this is, they aren't cows, which he loves to draw. Right. Um, but they are sheep. Okay. Which is important for the joke. They're sheep so, in like a human setting. Like they are living in a house and it is a, a sheep in the other chair. I'm sorry, frog dog bunny, Elliot? It's a sheep and okay. Gary Larson is a genius. He's yes, not agreed. He's not the most realistic Drawer? artist. Yeah. I love his drawings. They're hilarious. Yeah, they're great. It would be they're, so cool if I could see style. it. You know? Okay, he kind of looks like a frog mixed with a dog mixed with a funny 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 papers. Bunny. I know. I, I know that that's what you meant, but I'm just wondering yeah. how that's possible. Yeah. I don't know. He's got like a little frog nose, like a kind of like a pig nose too, and like fluffy ears or something weird. And then, <laughs> um, I don't know where I got the dog part. Okay, cool, 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 cool. He does have ears coming out of the side of his head, a little round top of the head, and I mean it's a sheep. <laughs> and the sheep in the background is looking back toward us, like toward mm -hmm. the room where this other person is. Or okay, uh, sorry, frog dog bunny sheep. Um. So that's why it kind of looks like a person. It looks like it has a little pinhead with a nose sticking out, but that's an ear because the sheep's mm. face is toward us. Okay. So in the foreground, in the room we're in, there's a desk. There's a whole bunch of paper on the ground, as he said, and like writing on it. Like mm -hmm. you can see there's stuff on it. Some of the pages are, they're not crumpled up into balls, but they're ragged and kind of crumply. And there's a garbage can on the floor that's overflowing with paper, right? Okay. The sheep at the desk, its legs are up. Um, and you can see its hooves because sheep have hooves, you know, um, <laughs> and there's a typewriter on the desk and a lamp uh -huh. and the sheep's legs are up because what is the sheep throwing in the air, Elliot? Paper. He already said that. More papers just tossed up in the air in, you know, exasperation. So this sheep is a writer and is not happy with what he, he or she it. is writing. I haven't even read the, the words yet. I mean, Okay. So at the bottom, it says sheep authors. Okay. And there's a speech bubble. The sheep is mm -hmm. yelling. Mm -hmm. uh, forget it. Forget it. Everything I write is just so much bleeding. Is yeah. that And it? then this is the part where we just wait and mom looks at us blankly. Everything I write is just so much bleeding? Bleating. Like I got that. Yeah. Sheep bleating. They bleat. What's the joke? I don't know. Is it is it like whining? Is that like like everything they write sounds like whining or sounds yeah. like bleating is like when people bleat, it's like there's a you know, you're just whining and self important bleating and stuff and No, it's a I there there's common like author thing, like why like and I picked this because you wrote a book and you questioned that too, like why am I writing this? Who cares about what I'm writing? It's just so much bleating. I remember you saying that several times mm. when I walked in. Well, I feel like there's something we're missing. Like, does it rhyme with something people actually say? Or is there any similarity to something people might say? People say that about people, like when they're whining or complaining or... They say everything is just you're, so much say, bleeding? Oh, you're just, would you stop bleeding? 
No, you no sound one like says a that. Sheep. No one says that. Yeah, it's a com- it was a common phrase in the nineties. September thirtieth in particular. I'm kind of upset that you did this for the third week in a row. Like you This one's good. It's a pun. It's a solid a pun sheep based writing on pun. what? There, if it's a pun, sheep and authors. No, if it's a pun, that means there's a word that sounds like bleeding that we use. Just wanted to compliment you on that like really specific date giving there. September 30th, 1990s. <laughs> Is that what I said? 1994. Sorry, that's the date we're on for those keeping up with the wiki. Oh, shit. What, what you said was... It was a really common phrase in the 90s, particularly on September 30th. What year? Yeah, well, it's 90. And people listening probably know that it's 1994, but my, possibly not. It's important yeah, to yeah, let them know. Yeah, thanks for the reminder to let them that know. That we're doing um, this segment, by the way, the point of this segment is that every day that I was gone in Montana, uh, Micah is... Uh, he's reading a comic from every single day that I was gone. And then once we get through the two years, we'll go back to the beginning and do a different comic every day until we get through every single comic that I missed. Yeah, eventually we'll Montana. cover all of them. Every comic that was ever written now, up to that point. Why on that he day. has to, why I'm not allowed to see them and he has to just describe them to me is anybody's guess? It's better that way. You know, it's a visual media, medium. We're doing a podcast. The listeners don't get to see it until after they do because i post them on our website right you can go there i never saw that.com and Mm -hmm. you can see them i'm a little behind but i'll catch up don't worry Mm -hmm. so back to what we were saying it is it's like a double meaning bleating like it's a sheep literally sheep literally bleat yeah but no one says that no one says bleeding about people like stop bleeding no one ever 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 says that i've never heard a single human being say that i mean i grew up with sheep so maybe it's just a phrase when people when farmers have sheep. I I think it makes sense. Like the phrase makes sense. Like people would use it, but no one does. Yeah, that's not that's not a thing. People don't people don't say stop bleeding or like everything I wrote is just bleeding. It's not. They did again in the it's September thirtieth in the nineties. They did. Okay. <laughs> anyway, I don't want to talk about this anymore. See ya. So, back to Endless Summer 2. Yeah, so in 1966, uh, Endless Summer 1 came out, and um, Bruce Brown, the the premise was, like, surfing was big in California and a few other places. I mean, they'd been surfing in Hawaii for hundreds of years, and there have been people riding things on waves mm-hmm. forever. Um, but surfing as a sport really blew up in California and the 50s and 60s it was huge and it became like a cultural phenomenon um but it gets kind of cold in the winters in California and so they can't surf all year long or they didn't back then I grew up surfing in Oregon where I'd wear a wetsuit and surf in the winter and it was the best surf in the winter but back then it was pretty much like a summer thing and so they wanted to follow the summer around the globe right and that's what he did he took two young surfers, Mike Hinson and Robert August, and they went around to Hawaii and a bunch of other really cool places, South Africa, and kind of followed the summer around the globe. And it was like every surfer's dream. Right. So So 30 years later, he recreated this with two younger guys, Pat O'Connell and Robert Wingnut Weaver. And 
The difference was in the original Endless Summer, back then, it was all longboarding. Right. So in this one, Pat O'Connell is a shortboarder, which was new between the 60s and the 90s. Those boards hadn't been developed really But also what most really people yet. did by that point. Like, right. most surfers were riding short boards. Yeah, and surfers, a lot of surfers still longboard. They, they're different styles, and you ride different types of waves. Um, so there are still a lot of longboarders. But yes, shortboarding was huge in the 90s, and that's when it became like this huge worldwide thing. And there, by that time, there was like the world surfing competitions. and Yeah, but this guy, Wingnut, um, is very committed to old yeah. school longboarding. Yeah. So that's his thing. So when he I was, was like 26 this, when this came out. Yeah, when I was watching this in the 90s, he was like, he did some amazing stuff on a longboard. Yeah. And I was totally into it. So one of the first places they went in this film was Costa Rica. They pack up all their stuff. They fly to Costa Rica. And Elliot was really excited. And Sadie, Sadie watched this with us too, but she didn't want to be on the show today because she's up doing some radical, botaceous other stuff. But Elliot was stoked to be on the show. Yeah. And we've actually been to Costa Rica um, to the exact town that they went to in the mm-hmm. movie. And we've seen some of the places that we went to and we've been there. And yeah, was cool. that was pretty cool. It was cool, too, because I, I remember watching this movie over and over. And then we went to Costa Rica in like 2017. And watching it again, I was like, wait, I've been there since then. I didn't put that together before because I didn't remember it from the movie. But there's a point where they go to Witch's Rock. Mm-hmm. And we rode, like we rented four wheelers and went on this little tour um, and we ended up at Witch's Rock at one point. And I was like, wait, I think that was the place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I was like, when I when I saw the rock sitting in the middle of the water, I was like, I feel like I've seen that rock before. Huh. That's weird. We might have gone there. It was cool. Yeah, it was cool to see a place we had been to. Uh, yeah, there were some interesting things in this movie. Um, at the beginning, he says, When I made my last surf film in 1964... There are only four countries in the world where people surf. Today, surfers are riding waves in virtually every country in the world that has a coastline, and on almost every island in every ocean. If you went searching for your perfect wave and went to every spot in every country where people now surf and stayed one day, you'd be gone for 50 years. So, like, surfing exists almost everywhere now. Yeah, which wasn't true. I mean, there's a lot of issues with how they did things in places like South Africa and some of the filming in the 60s. Like, Mm -hmm. there were, if you look at the old film, you can see kids, like, from South Africa out on pieces of wood surfing. Right, I mean... They just didn't call it surfing, and it wasn't that, like... It wasn't the same sport, really. It was just kind of a recreational thing. And now, yeah, he was making the point that it's this huge worldwide phenomenon where people surf everywhere all year long, all the time. Like, you know, yeah, even in Texas where or I mean, Texas does have a coast, but like they have like artificial waves that they make. And I there's there's one in Bend. There's one in Boise that we know of, like on the river since they're not on the coast. So yeah, people do surf everywhere. Yeah, I think I think uh, they're called standing waves, like mm-hmm. waves that just go forever. Like you right. can just go on them, and yeah, you know, like any time of day, any time of year, yeah. always open. It's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a few white dudes from California who 
kind of think they're the center of the universe sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, they're they're they seem like cool dudes, you know, like sweet guys and everything, but but that's something I thought about a lot was like we like we're the pioneers of this sport and we we're going to bring it to Hawaii and bring it to South Africa and bring it to these places and it's like mm. and like all of the surfers that they reference are old white dudes. Like there have to be other surfers that are not just old white dudes from California, like in the world. Yeah, they talk about a lot of the old, like, 60s surfers and stuff and the, the dudes they talk to and the people they revisit, like the Australian mm-hmm. guy and the um, South African dude. But there were a lot of other surfers in this movie. They don't name all of them, but there were a lot of surfers that were huge in the 90s. And it was, like, this movie, I had posters of all these guys up in my room. This was a big deal, seeing these guys surf in a movie that was in a movie theater was really cool. Um, but there were other dudes there. They talked to Jerry Lopez a lot. and um, But it is very, like, focused on white it's dudes. It's very white, and the white man, dudes that yeah. won the most recent, like, world surfing championships. Yeah, which, I mean, fine. I mean, that's the people making the movie and whatever. It's just something that I thought about. Like, they talked about Polynesia, and it's like, well, where are the Polynesian surfers <laughs> in yeah. this movie? Like, where are... They showed a few of them here and there. But, um, yeah, I mean... And, you know, that's just one thing that I noticed. But outside of that, it was um, fun to watch. Anything else you want to talk about, Elliot, about the movie or that you really enjoyed? I, I don't think so. I mean, I think that sums it up pretty well for me. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Elliot. Yeah, thank you. And thanks for watching the movie with us. Yeah, no problem. Uh-oh, this is dead air. <laughs> okay, bye. Bye. So some of the places, the other places they went, they went to Costa Rica. They went to France to see Tom Curran. Um, they revisited South Africa and they revisited this beach. Uh, in the original film, it's like this iconic moment in surfing, um, like documentaries or surf films, where everybody that surfed basically since the 60s has seen this and talks about Cape St. Francis in South Africa. Um, this like the perfect wave they found where he he rides it for so long and it's perfectly flat and consistent and the same. They go back and there's like this huge residential development there with all these luxury homes and they kind of ruined the beach because the wind doesn't blow the same way anymore and the sand doesn't sit on the bottom. But it's still a good wave. They go to Australia. They see some other people. Um, they go to Bali he calls it Bali a few times and then Bali a few times. They go to Java. I want to go to Java. Some of those little islands. Yeah. Oh, my God. Really amazing. Um, and yeah. they, they start off in Alaska, actually. And they show some Alaskan surfing, which was cool. That was Well, they didn't go to Alaska. No, but the film crew went. They just went showed, and they showed some people in Alaska. Just to show that people surf everywhere. Right. It's all two sorts people of in Alaska who, who surf. Yeah. And they say that um, the population... Of surfers is too, which isn't true. There's tons of people that surf up there. Yeah. So yeah, they. I mean, that's pretty much the movie. Like, it's um, they're really amazing surfers. It's really amazing to watch. They surf really fucking big waves, and um, they're good at it, and they love it, and they're stoked about it. That's the most enthusiastic surfer of all time. It doesn't really matter what the surf's like. He's perpetually stoked. I don't think a day goes by he doesn't say, that was the best wave I ever caught in my life. You know, they do a couple things that are dork. I mean, the guy's got some jokes about, like, 
they show women in like thong bikinis. And he's like, you used to get arrested for wearing this kind of bathing yeah. suit. And then they show a dude wearing one. And he's like, this guy still should. Yeah. <laughs> and they show boobs at one point because it's France and it's a topless beach. And the, the guys, one of the guys is 20 years old. And he's like, he giggles like a little boy. And it's yeah. funny. That's Pat O'Connell. And then there are a couple times, like, they're in Africa, and they go by all these lions, and their little car that they're driving stops, and the lions crawl all over the car, and it's, like, freaky, but it's obvious that they just planned that. And there's another part with a crocodile that's, like, it's it's a documentary, but they, uh, it, like, it's... They stage some a lot of, of it things. Is, yeah, yeah. The surfing's all real. The put surfing a story is together. great. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, the, they just added some goofy shit, which... Yeah. I could have done without because it was a little long. But. The crocodile thing I actually looked up and apparently Steve Irwin is in the film for a little bit. The crocodile hunter. Really? Because they that scene was staged at his crocodile uh, zoo okay. or whatever it's called. Um, that makes sense. So yeah, that was totally controlled and staged. Um, but they did a lot of that with like the elephants and other animals and stuff and they they put them in a lot of like ridiculous situations where they're rental cars you know when they fly into france they're driving this like 30s citron or something mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not that old but um they have like lots of weird little cars they have to get around in and they go to these places with people that it's totally set up and staged where was the place that was named after oliver north i did not get that story it was in costa rica it was a secret beach called Ollie's. Why would they name something something? after Oliver North? Because they, what the story they tell in there is that supposedly the CIA had a secret base up the valley that supplied arms to the Contra rebels in Nicaragua. It was a big secret. That's why they call it Ollie's Point. Everyone knew about it except Congress. It's just one of Bruce Brown's long, weird jokes that don't fit in the movie at all. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. So yeah, I, I think, um, I think it's really inspiring to watch people do something that they love so much that like that their life is about. And I, I don't have anything like that, you know, like I don't, I've never done anything that I loved that much, maybe singing, but like, I've never pursued anything to this extent. And it's really interesting to me watching people do that. And I envy that. I think I really envy like that level of passion for one thing, like that you just become a total expert and you, I don't know, like I just really, um, it kind of bums me out that I don't have that thing. I don't have one thing that I'm like really good at or that I am passionate about. And I guess most of us probably don't, but yeah, so. Yeah, I thought it was cool that they showed too. There were a bunch of pro surfers that they showed that were on like currently on the tour or had recently retired. Um, which obviously that's like every kid that surfs dream would be just like any other sport to be like the pro athlete. But there's tons of other surfers that they show. Like Robert August goes to Costa Rica with them. He, he makes a board for Wingnut and mm-hmm. um, he was one of the original stars of the first one. And he is a surfboard shaper. Mike Hinson taught him to shape surfboards. Jerry Lopez is in this. He's a surfboard shaper. A lot of these guys that were pro surfers or were big surfers mm-hmm. or really into it, go into shaping or doing other things related to the sport because they're just, it is like a lifestyle that you have to, 
like they talk about Pat O'Connell at that point, he was 20 years old and he was like doing surf competitions to save money for traveling to go surf other places. Yeah. Like his whole life is about this. I mean, it's like watching um, Free Solo or The Alpinist, which he didn't finish watching, but like those guys who climb, which is like much fucking crazier. Yeah. But um, I mean, like they're just like they're so singularly focused and uh, I don't know, that kind of focus is it's strange and it's it's cool i guess it's like this is what makes their lives meaningful yeah speaking of extreme sports people like the alpinist and stuff laird hamilton is also featured in this film Mm -hmm. um and he there's another so dana brown is bruce brown's son and he worked on this um in the summer too with him but he also made another movie that's considered like the third in the trilogy called step into liquid um, mm-hmm. And it goes into the like toe in surfing more mm-hmm. and some of the other things that people are doing like to advance the sport. But they talked to Laird about like windsurfing one time. He he thought it was like 45 kilometers from one island to another. And it was like 45 nautical miles, which is mm-hmm. even further than. So they're out there. He said they're out there for like five hours sometimes windsurfing. Well, sir, he said they he windsurfs between islands. Like, yeah. From island to island. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, it takes like five hours, like five hours on a fucking windsurfing board. Yeah. Yeah. And he has, he was, he and a few other guys, he wasn't the only one doing it, but he was the big like star of it. They started riding surfboards with foot straps and being towed in by like Zodiacs or jet skis so they could ride like 60 foot waves or, or mm-hmm. bigger waves, waves that were Waves so that are big. too big to paddle into. Yeah. Mm-hmm. they're huge like I've, crazy dangerous like i've dropped down a wave that's like maybe 10 feet it was probably eight feet you know like not even double overhead and it's exhilarating when mm-hmm. you're at the top of a wave and you drop even like a four foot <laughs> wave if you've ever yeah, surfed I would imagine. every single time it's like oh this is amazing it's just that rush of going of dropping in on it mm-hmm. a 60 foot plus wave mm-hmm it's That's a whole different thing. So fast. It's not even related. Like you're just hanging on and going so fast down the face of this thing. It's terrifying. Yeah, I can only imagine. That's what I like. I think people who do stuff like this and are always looking for like the bigger challenge and the more dangerous way to do it. I like I, I think there's something different about those people's brains. Like I don't know if it's a form of autism or if it's something else where like your fear receptors don't function the same way that other people's do, uh, you know, or like your fear of death. It's different. I mean. Yeah, I think there's definitely an element of that. And I think the hyper focus, like there are definitely people maybe on the spectrum or whatever, maybe not neurotypical, you know, they're neurodivergent in ways that support them in this. Right. Um. But I think it's also a ton of work and just familiarity. Like Laird Hamilton, they talk about this in the movie too, is he was he's kind of a throwback to when surfers were in the 50s and 60s. They were like scuba divers and skin divers and boaters. All around and, watermen. Yeah, and they knew how to do all that stuff. Um, he kind of prides himself on that. And 
it's just a lot of familiarity with like the surfers I knew that I was growing up with that were really good. I never got good. I never got good at reading waves or even understanding how something was breaking. But there were guys that had studied like oceanography and knew what the seafloor looked like just from how the waves were mm-hmm. breaking mm-hmm. and knew where to be. It's there's a lot of hard work and planning and understanding right. that goes into it too. We used to spend a lot of time at the beach in California because my grandparents lived down there and we don't go there anymore because they're not there anymore. But my mom, both my parents grew up in Southern California and they, you know, my mom grew up surfing and body surfing and um, she is a really good body surfer. She's like a fucking fish. She's really amazing to watch in the water. Like I really miss that about going to the beach down there. My dad body surfs also he's he's pretty good at it too um or but watching you know, your mom is be. like another level like she'll just casually swim out with you and i'll be standing out there in the waves for hours and she'll like casually come up next to me and be like oh i'm gonna catch this one and then just body yeah, surf away it's amazing <laughs> it's really it's she's a beautiful swimmer yeah uh yeah i've always been a disappointment <sighs> I stand on the shore squealing when the water hits me. And um, (laughs) so I like going back to the idea of having like something that you're that you get really, really good at. Um, And I'm not talking about like the extreme level like these guys or whatever. But like I don't I've never had anything like that at all. Um, And I've often wondered like what? who would I have become or who would, how would I be different if I hadn't been sent to Montana? You know, like, would I have pursued music in a different way? Mm. Would I have, you know, blah, blah, blah. But I, I wouldn't have like, it's, I think like my lack of ability to focus and commit to something has to do with ADHD and depression. And that was always there. Like, I don't, I don't, yeah, I just, I don't, I don't think that it probably made any difference in terms of that, you know? Yeah, I mean, movies like this inspire people to think about that, I think. Like, what's the one thing I'm super passionate about? But I think those people are super rare, actually. To be this, I know. But, like, I'm just saying, like, you know, like, I've dabbled a little bit in a lot of things. I've never gotten really good at anything. Like, I mean, I'm a good singer, but I never... I was never like brave enough to pursue it or, or I mean, it was partially brave. And also I had no idea how to get from point A to point B. Like that's ADHD. Like I for I've been paralyzed for most of my life trying to figure out, like, how do I make this thing a part of my life? I don't understand how I'm supposed to do that. Um, so I think that's that is part of it for me. Like, you know, I like a lot of people have like an instrument they play really well or I don't know. Yeah, but I think most of us are just trying to survive and yeah, get through the every exhausting moment of yeah. this little Which life. Is why it's inspiring to watch things like this. There's a moment in the film where he talks about being out. There are surfers that spend like like Jerry Lopez wears these like Polaroid lenses. He said because he spends eight hours out in the mm-hmm. water, and those days where you spend all day in the water and you're just burned and Mm -hmm. the sun and the salt water is stinging you and you're so and it's super loud the waves are crashing everywhere everything's really overwhelming but underneath 
Mm-hmm. It's a totally different it's world. Quiet, it's yeah. quiet and it's beautiful. And I always, I was never a good surfer at all. And I wasn't a good swimmer. So I don't know why I thought this, but I always wanted to be like a surf photographer mm-hmm. or a videographer, like, like underwater. underwater. It's yeah. so fucking beautiful. Mm-hmm. It is a totally different world. Mm-hmm. Um, and my family scuba dived and did all, all sorts of stuff like that. And I could never do it because my ears. Um, so this was just a silly pipe dream. And I, didn't know how to get from point A to point B either. And I mm-hmm. didn't do anything about it. But I love that part of the movie because yeah, it is cool. so amazing. And just seeing those waves again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very, um, very, it's very cool. I mean, I really do love watching people surf. I, I used to do that down at the beach in California. I could just sit there and watch people surf for a long time. So, yeah, it's a, it's a cool movie. And, um, it's silly and whatever, but the, the yeah, the actual surfing parts are really amazing to watch. And it's cool to watch with kids if they're cool with um, boobs. Boobs. A few boobs. Zoomers. zoomers. Every time Pat and Wingnut looked towards shore, they saw Zoomers staring back. Kind of broke their concentration. <laughs> uh, answer us this. Have any of you ever heard that term used for boobs before? Because I had not. Look at those Zoomers. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, that's Endless Summer 2, and um, thank you for listening. Uh, we are coming back to Summer Blockbusters next week with Die Hard with a Vengeance. Yeah, Samuel L. Jackson, so Bruce get, Willis. Get ready for that. I almost said get used to that, but I meant get ready for that. And um, yeah, thank you so much for listening, as always. And thank you to Graham McRae for our artwork. Thank you to Fifi Folios for our internet stuff. Thanks to Minus Violet for our music. Until next time. See you in the 90s. 90s.